0: Apple of Truth, currently a weekly podcast where we cover every episode of Lucifer while exploring plot holes and admiring the skyliner, all with the love for the show and its creators. I'm Vero. And I'm Lena, And today we're covering Lucifer, Season 1, Episode 6, Favorite Son. But before we
1: start actually covering the episode, we have wonderful, wonderful Patreon shoutouts to do because we have a new Patreon at the most amazing Patreon level, Believer. Our newest Believer is Charlotte. And for me, Charlotte will always be French Charlotte because when we met, we didn't just meet each other, we met several other people and there were more people called Charlotte. So she will always be French Charlotte to me. So thank you, French Charlotte, for joining the rank of believers of the Lucifer podcast at this trying time. Thank you, Charlotte. I have a lot of fun things. Okay, tell me more. The IMDb summary is very efficient. It's a lot of short sentences. It's a robbery gone bad leads Lucifer and Chloe to working together. Dan has an unusual encounter with Mazikeen. Chloe suspects Lucifer might be a criminal. Linda chooses to play Lucifer's game. So it's a very wholesome and covering summary. And when you read the Amazon UK, it's okay. It's very one-sided. But the most important thing is the Amazon coverage reads, Lucifer demands to rejoin the case after he discovers something very personal was stolen from him. Interesting. When you read the German covering, it reads very differently. Because in German... He asks to rejoin. He doesn't demand. Uh And it also says not that something personal was taken. Just that something important was taken. So we have a slight differentiating happening there. And as usual, us Germans, we need our own title. And our title is not the favorite son. No, no. It's... The Fallen Angel. Okay, great. Which is not too
0: bad. It's not too bad. I personally have much of an issue with the American spelling of favorites. Oh yeah, always there's letters missing. Yeah, it looks wrong. Fix it.
1: Yeah, well, that's American English and British English, so...
0: No, American English and real English. Oh, yeah,
1: sorry. Sorry, you're (laughs) absolutely right.
0: But I have several
1: fun things. Mm. Spoiler alert, there are several tangents happening in this episode. What? Who could have seen this coming? (laughs) Not me. But also, I have... Prepped A few things that we have to talk about before. Number one being the episode name this time is said by Linda. Which I'm totally here for. Yes. Because she says it during the therapy session where everything escalates. So I'm totally there for that. But that's happening later on. But also, you remember that I have started to keep track of who writes the episode. Oh yeah. So this episode was written by Jason Ning. And that is one of the two persons who wrote The not-so-great, the would-be Prince of Darkness, episode 3. That is interesting. Because, also, spoiler alert, I love this episode. It's
0: actually very good, yeah.
1: Everything I complained about last episode, this episode did right. And we're gonna get more writing credits by this person. So, at this moment of time, I'm willing to blame the other person (laughs) for episode 3. And also, a really, really interesting note is the Los Diablos bar set. In the episode, it's the exact same set that was used in Deadpool 1. Oh my god! And when you know that and you watch the episode, you actually recognize it. Because behind the bar, you have those refrigerators and shit. Yeah. They are exactly the same. Oh my god. And I fucking love it. And I did not know that. IMDb told me that. And I did my homework before I started watching the episode. So I knew beforehand when that part came up, I was like... Shit, yeah, of course this is that. So I was super happy.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Everything makes sense. Ah! Yeah, now I really want to go and watch Deadpool instead.
1: Oh, yeah, so, so much. I love Deadpool and I love Ryan Reynolds and...
0: He is so good. He's such a good human as well. It's not just him being funny and great and good-looking. Yes, and he confirmed that Deadpool is pansexual.
1: So I just feel seen. So I'm very, very much happy. But without further ado, let's get into the episode. And I have to say, previously on doesn't need to be anything sad about Nothing it Nothing really. really, yeah. Because scene one, finally singing! And this needs to be you talking, because
0: singing, song, tell us everything! Okay, I'm not sure if I'm gonna cover everything, but in the cold open, we have two things happening at the same time. One of them is a pretty gruesome and dark murder of a guy trying to do his job by a guy who's trying to steal the container. It's very gruesome, very dark. It's a very dark setting as well. But that is accompanied by one of the best songs in the history that is called Sinner Man. Which is the most known in a version of Nina Simone. However, it is not a Nina Simone song. It's an African-American traditional song. I didn't know that. And the lyrics describe a sinner attempting to hide from divine justice on Judgment Day. Ooh. I went on the internet and unfortunately, since I'm making the playlist on Spotify, Spotify doesn't have the Tom Ellis version. Sad. Which is very disappointing, if you ask me. But I did the next best thing and I took the 10-minute version of Nina Simone and put it on the playlist.
1: 10-minute version. Nice. The
0: original version of Nina Simone that was recorded in the 50s and I didn't write down the year. I think it was 1956. Okay. But there was a version over 10 minutes long and pretty much the lyrics go where are you gonna run to all on the day. Run to the rock, run to the river, run to the devil and he was waiting. So mm. there is a numerous of allegories we could draw from this to our Lucifer. Oh yeah. And Thank you writers and thank you directors or whoever the fuck is responsible for letting Tom Ellis sing. And I just need to say, again, I say it every fucking episode, whoever works the music on this show is incredible. They know exactly what they're doing, and not only they are using Tom Ellis, who is a very good singer, and finally we get to hear it, but the song choices that they make for him, or even for the scenes, are just So good. Sometimes they're a bit
1: over the top, but in 95% of the moments, they're just amazing. So, sound production wise, great, great job. But, mini tangent time. Ooh, already. It is already. I have a mini tangent. Okay, go for it. Because the container that gets stolen. Has a sign. It has a sign. What? It has a sign on the side. And because I am the queen of fucking freeze frames, <laughs> I obviously did a freeze frame and then I went into the Google. And the sign on the container stands for Dingir, which is the Sumerian word for God in the cuneian form which means wedges basically it was an ideogram for the sumerian word an which stands for sky or heaven and is also the name of the divine personification of the sky and supreme god in ancient mesopotamian religion Its use was then extended as a logogram. A logogram is when you use one written character for a whole word or phrase. Mm -hmm. And the logogram was called digir, so no N, which is the word for god or goddess. So Lucifer putting this sign, which basically stands for the supreme god, God being on the side of his freaking container which at the end of the episode we learned contains his fucking wings. Is amazing.
0: It's so smart. And then that brings us back to the people who are creating this show. So much research. Where do they... Yes, exactly. Where do they come up with this shit? Which makes me at the end of the episode so angry.
1: Because I'm gonna go off several tangents this episode. And my last tangent this episode is gonna be so angry. But we're gonna get there. Yep. Also, I found it very, very nice that we see a focus on the wristband that will be relevant later on for solving the case. We get a close-up of the cross on the wristband so when Chloe later on goes, oh there was an imprint on the throat, it's something that we were able to see before and then already be aware of before she who was not present during the murder. So I like that. In the whole episode Chloe is such a competent cop. Which is not surprising. I love that they finally let her be as competent as she was meant and teased to be the last five episodes. This episode, she is 120% competent police person. Yes. And I love it. I'm so there for it. Mm. And also, what I'm also there for, the transition to the next scene. Wow. Chloe's voice going... What made you think you could get away with it? And we're still seeing the dead body of the person just being murdered. And then it transitions over and we see Trixie with the chocolate on her face. (laughs) We had nice transitions before, but this one was... That was Buffy-style quality. I'm there for it. I
0: love it. Yeah, we are pretty much just moving on to scene two. And we've already talked about the craft that goes into the show on so many different levels. Because this show is done so incredibly well. It's directed really well. It's mostly written very, very well. Especially this episode. This episode is... We're gonna get to it, but this... Emotionally, this episode is ridiculous but it's also very funny and then yes this scene in particular the whole Trixie interaction this whole episode is fucking brilliant
1: I do have a question for you though I mean we both agree that Trixie is the best yes very smart for her age yeah why would she try to run with this outright lie she has chocolate on her face and she must be aware that Her claiming to not have eaten a chocolate cake would not lead anywhere.
0: Why is she still lying? I think she just tries to push it. She just wants to see how far she can go. I can live with that. And the audacity that she has to claim that she didn't eat it is brilliant. Since we both are not
1: much into children (laughs) as a thing, but can we both agree Lucifer is the perfect bad influence on children (laughs) yes I wanna be that if you put children in my surroundings this is what's gonna happen I'm gonna tell them exactly the same shit like Lucifer apparently does and then the parents and guardians are gonna have to deal with that shit
0: yeah she says Lucifer said if you really wanna do something you should which pretty much sums Lucifer up he's right yeah it can be quite problematic yeah
1: He didn't say that it wouldn't be problematic, but he's not wrong. Exactly.
0: Which I appreciate that. And it's again brings us down to the honesty of the character of Trixie. Absolutely. She just doesn't have a problem, admit that. Because once she cracks and she knows that there's no way of her getting away with the (laughs) fact that she ate the fucking cake. She's just like, yeah, well, I did it, so what? What are you gonna do?
1: And they're not doing anything. There's no consequence.
0: But I do have to say that in this scene, I kind of enjoyed Dan's parenting. The way he tries a different angle, it works. It's a lot like an interrogation between the two of them, which I enjoy because this is what they do and what they love. Exactly.
1: That was exactly the point I wanted to make. This feels more like interrogating a suspect than it feels like parenting. But you know, it works. It works, but still, it feels like all the parenting interaction we have seen so far with Chloe and Dan, it was always Chloe being the decent parent and Dan being the lacking, shitty parent. And now that we have this more working approach of Dan, the whole setup feels more like this is something that both of them encounter in their day-to-day work reality. And this is why Dan actually performs admirably. Because he really does a good job. He gets her to confess. Exactly.
0: But that being said, <laughs> he is... Instantly craps all over that.
1: Which is his classic. Dan does something good and fucks it up immediately. This is basically Dan 101. Yeah. This has been the last five episodes. Dan either does something shitty and then collects a brownie point, or Dan collects a brownie point and instantly does something shitty. There's always a connection. There's never just one of the two. Sometimes there was just a shitty thing, but he never does something positive without fucking it up instantly. Which is sad.
0: It is sad. I want to believe he's a good dad. Look, we'll get. There. I have to say that these last few episodes, I am melting a little bit towards Dan. Is it maybe my influence? No, it's the fact that Aminadil is the worst person in the universe. So I have somebody else to direct my hate at. So yeah. <laughs> and he was hoping it was me. Going
1: over to scene three. Scene three for me is relatively long because I counted the whole Lux crime scene, Lux crime scene thing as one because otherwise it would have been a hassle too. Yeah. My description is... Very, very descriptive of the whole setting because it's basically Lucid, turns down a foursome, goes to work, is bored at work, has a personal involvement and now is interested. Which is basically the setup of the scene.
0: Do you remember last week when I was... No, I was drunk. When I was praising the website. Where I find the songs. And I was saying, oh, this is so great. I don't have to do all that work.
1: Did you have to do the work?
0: No, really, no. But I went to the website and I forgot to write down this song while I was watching the episode. And that, again, kind of shows how good this episode is. Because I had to go back yeah. a couple of times. Because I just got sucked into what was happening and forgot to make notes. Same. So I was like, oh yeah, great. This song... I forgot to write it down, because they always put down the song and the description of the scene or the moment where the song plays. And I always go and double check if it's the same song, and stop the episode and go over it again. And I didn't this time because you know I was several scenes ahead at that stage, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna put it in, and I put in the song and put it in a playlist and listening to it. They say, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds like a Lucifer playlist. And then I look underneath it. There is another song with the same name by different artists. Oh no! And so I opened it, and it's a completely different song, but with the same scene description i was like what the fuck so i had to go back like five minutes in the episode and re-listen to figure out which one it actually is and what we hear here when the britneys show up for the first time hi britneys we love you britneys
1: oh my god they're so hot
0: they're so hot and we are listening to a song called black cloud by mr rudy day and black cloud is again a very nice description of what we are about to see because it's like a little black cloud that, on a beautiful day, comes and takes away the sun.
1: Lucifer had such a great time going, and now shit happens. Oh, I'm absolutely with you.
0: I want to bring up this philosophical debate, though, about rotting flesh.
1: Oh, 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 oh! oh. My note is, <laughs> I agree. With Lucifer's disregard of empty flesh.
0: I was just gonna say that. Because the only person who he is disrespecting by his behavior are the people who are the family of the person. And they're not there. And they're not there. So
1: his behavior is totally fine. I'm in 100% agreement with Lucifer that the carcass has no relevance at all.
0: Yep. And I agree. But with that being said, the way he treats Chloe
1: is not great. Oh, his treatment of Chloe is shit. Yes. He is utterly disrespectful of Chloe and her position and standing. And that I actually take issue with because he has... Thought to be official part of the department. He has now finally got his place as official liaison. Yes. So why is he now acting as if this case, which he has not even taken five seconds of getting involved with, is less interesting than the dirt beneath his fingernails. And I'm very, very happy that this gets resolved very, very quickly. Exactly. I have one last note for this scene. Mm -hmm. I love how Mace drops the ominous thingy. It's the container. We don't get any more information, but you can hear the caps. Yes. And I love it. And I just love Maze in that moment. And already we have Trixie and we have Maze. At this moment already this episode is good.
0: It's better than any other episode before, right?
1: And not too much later we get Linda as well. So my heart is happy. Yes, this episode is something. Oh, I'm sorry. I do have one more note on Maze. Because Lucid goes like, I don't care. And Maze obviously doesn't believe him. But she also knows him too well to confront him. And instead, she goes to play on his vanity. So it's okay to steal from you now. Mm -hmm. And Mace
0: knows exactly where to put the finger. And I love it. It's so good. It's very Mace. For Mace, she's not just a bartender. She's not just a demon. She's not just somebody who walks around and cleans Lucifer's messes. No, she's very... Much layered actual personality, which is great. And I love it. She knows exactly how to push his buttons. Yep. I
1: called scene four Lucifer's lead and I'm very much there for Chloe not just using Lucifer in the beginning of the scene, but also Chloe using Dan at the end of the scene. Oh yeah. I love how she just utilizes everything she has at her disposal. She's so good. I know I'm fucking repeating myself in this episode, but she's so competent and she uses everything that she can and I love it.
0: I really enjoyed the fact that Chloe, she mentioned it in, uh, so when Lucifer breaks into the house in the last episode and starts speculate in front of the suspects and Chloe says we don't speculate in front of our suspects, we present a united front and she does exactly that with the snow cone guy. She clearly disapproves with what Lucifer is doing, attacking the guy, but she uses it and she rolls with the punches. And also, excuse me, Lucifer got himself a snow cone? How great is that?
1: (laughs) It just plays for me into his very Spike-like, from Buffy, enjoyment of mortal things that he has no business enjoying of. And I love it. Yep. Like I always enjoy it when supernatural creatures take pleasure in the tiny human things. Yes. It's beautiful. It proves that we are living our lives well. Well, it's actually a very Greek mythology thing. I went through the whole classic school education. I had to learn Latin for nine years. And basically the Greek and Roman gods were jealous of humanity for their humanity. Because human life is short. We're aware that we end and thus we appreciate the little things. The taste, the moment, the second. So Greek tragedies often go into this issue if gods have immortality but at the same time they don't have appreciation for the small things. But as humans we do have the appreciation for the small things because our lives are so short. And I always appreciate supernatural beings, be it vampires like in Buffy or be it the devil here, to appreciate the day-to-day things like food. Food is such a short-lived thing. Like if you're immortal, you don't need food. But when you learn to appreciate alcohol and food and drugs, which is everything that Lucifer does, it shows that you're starting to appreciate a certain relevant part of humanity.
0: Yeah. Have you seen... Uh good place. Not yet. Watch it.
1: I know, I know, because there's actually one
0: whole scene
1: that mirrors the scene in Buffy, so I know I have to watch it. Okay,
0: well that's not the only reason you have to watch it. I think you'd like it anyway. This is how it got onto my radar. Okay. I would like to point out that it's really interesting that Dan doesn't have time for his daughter and Taco Tuesday but has shitloads of time to go out of his way and investigate Lucifer. Oh yeah. Fuck you, Dan.
1: Fuck you. Speaking of investigating Lucifer and Mace, I do have a question for scene 5. It's my only question for the entire scene. What the fuck does Mace do the entire day? Drink? Sex? Nothing, right?
0: Nothing, really. This is my only note for scene five. There is a song. And unfortunately, and this is pissing me off, this song is not on Spotify. I could not find it anywhere, any other version. I could only find it on YouTube. And it's by Dead Right. And it's called Nothing to Lose. And it starts playing when Dan walks into Lux to get beaten up and stuck naked into his ex's bed. I love, love, love love Mazikeen and the fact that she finds it entertaining and she has a fully formed plan within like five seconds after she sees done.
1: Yes, and she enjoys herself so much. I love it. But you know what else I love? I love that Lucifer is still continuing his therapy. Yeah, but why wouldn't he? It's free. Well, it's not free, he still has to fuck her, which he doesn't because he storms out. And before that, Linda fucking turns him down. Linda has already been super high in my appreciation, but her going, no, 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 we're not having sex right now. And I mean, obviously sex with Lucifer is freaking mind-blowing and amazing, but Linda being the amazing person that she is, she can differentiate between, oh, this is deflection and my patient right now needs something different. This seems alone just makes me love Linda so much more But it gets so much better. The whole scene is great. I love how Lucifer is stealing the vanity claim from Mace. And using it for himself. Like, oh no, 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 the content doesn't matter. But someone stole from me. And it's so obvious that it's not his actual argumentation. But he realizes that this is plausible. Like I said, Linda turning him down is amazing. And Lucy storming out. It's so much Lucifer. Also, I love how it's cut with the knock on the door and Linda expecting it to be Lucifer, but it's a men deal and they're both angels. So the whole scene in its old setting is amazing. I do have a short tangent. Yeah. Because Ames says, Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of the light. And he quotes this as a Bible quote. So obviously I went into the internet and researched that Bible quote. There's like 500 translations that are available, and depending on the translation, there are other words used in this quote. For example, disguises gets substituted with masquerades, but also as transforms himself into or resembles. And sorry, Satan himself resembles an angel of the light means something entirely different. So once again, this shows me as in not in relevance to the podcast that translation sucks. You need to be able to understand the original lyrics, transcripts, meaning whatever to be 100% sure you actually understand the intent of what was written, because the way Ames quotes it, it is a deception of Lucifer. Had he chosen, for example, the, I think it was the King of James Bible, which is one of the most relevant translations for UK, it would have been transformed. And then it's more ambiguous. So the whole black and white issue changes a lot depending on what translation you use. And of course, Amenadiel is very one-sided. Like, we, we don't need to argue about that. He's gonna pick the translation that fits his narrative.
0: Exactly what you, literally what you just said. He's gonna pick the translation that is in his narrative. And this is the problem of religion in general. That we are not talking about the original texts or anything like that. We are talking about interpretations of text that has been written thousands and thousands of years ago.
1: And nearly no one speaks the original language and those who do are not the ones who
0: speak out about it. Exactly. We are led to believe something and right now at least we can read and we can learn different languages. But for example back in medieval times... People didn't have that option. They would just go to church and they would listen to their priest. And the priest would choose their own interpretation. And you had to believe it. Yes, you just listen to it and believe it to be true. And that's it. This is what Amenadiel is doing right now. He is presenting something in a way as ironclad truth. And that's what I hate about the world. I'm not a hateful person in general. I usually just, you know, I hate on stuff and I have fun. But what upsets me deeply when people come out and say this is the truth and this is the only truth. Only my opinion is valid and nobody else will say different. If you choose to say anything different or think anything different you're wrong
1: and you hate you and you're gonna burn in hell.
0: Exactly. Okay, I just wanna point out one more sentence. Linda says, one of the hardest things we ever do is to learn to be ourselves. It's a beautiful quote and I had to write it down because that is something that we all struggle with and nobody can say different. And if they say they don't struggle with that, they're lying to themselves. But even figuring out how to be ourselves is a never-ending struggle. And what ourselves even means. Exactly. So,
1: naked den. I actually really, really adore that we get a proper naked den. Because I have complained in previous episodes about the underwear clad sex, as you might remember. So, I'm very happy that we get a properly 100% stripped den. That has to cover up. I did another freeze frame. When Dan closes Trixie's door. We see what is on the outside of her door. And wow. That's some weird shit. There's a sign that says, no boys allowed except Lucifer and dad. And the and dead" part is squeezed in there. It doesn't seem to, either she didn't calculate correctly or she put it in there afterwards. But also that sign is stuck on top of another picture with super weirdly drawn birds. And I think one dog on it. <laughs> And the picture has a frame. She drew shit on the frame of it. And the top of the frame is made of squigglies and stars. And the stars are the ones that you draw in one take. So pentagram stars. (laughs) And the squigglies in the beginning look like sixes. So you have pentagram, six, pentagram, six, pentagram, six, pentagram, six. And I'm just like, what? Deep God! Who in the prop department made this?
0: I tell you who it was. It was the person whose laptop they use when (laughs) Chloe does the research. Probably, but I just was like,
1: what the (laughs) but... <laughs> so yeah, I found it hilarious, so I had to share it. Thank you. And also, my final note on this scene is, Trixie is fucking brutal.
0: She is so smart. I love her. I have another question, though, about this scene. And that is, how does Chloe not notice that her couch is unfold and there is bedding out? I think she's
1: so engrossed in her talk with her mom that she's just not focusing on anything else because she's so disappointed in But them.
0: like, she's gonna notice a Eventually, right?
1: At some point, she's going to be like, what? but at this point he's already gonna have left. Okay fair enough. I call the next scene tiny Mace is making fun of Dan because Dan is storming back into Lux in an amazing outfit and I love how Mace is gonna go like "Hey, well what are you gonna go tell them that this tiny bartender and she is tiny compared to him. She
0: is tiny in general I'd say as far as I can tell from pictures and stuff.
1: Yeah I can't wait to meet her in person to see how tiny she actually is but I what I found surprising I mean Lucy and Mace have been on earth now for several years five years five years and Mace doesn't seem to have any grasp on actual human relations her expectation that she can just put naked Dan in Chloe's apartment and that means that they have sex it's just like have you talked to any human in your time on earth or have you just fucked them she says hmm Works for me. I'm just surprised. I would have expected her to learn more about human relations.
0: I don't think she had the interest up until now. Because Lucifer was paying attention to her full time. And... Only now he starts to kind of get his own thing.
1: And also Dan gets a tiny brownie point. He does! Because while he spews off to Maze about what relationships mean, it's very obvious that he has a freaking epiphany.
0: Yeah, well done, Dan, for realizing the basic truth. How did you not know before? How old are because you? Because
1: he's an idiot, but at least first he tries to act on it and then he does act on it. So props to him even though it's low-hanging fruit. But he does get his brownie point. He is growing. And all thanks to Mace. Of course. With this, we go on over to the next scene which happens at the Evil Biker Bar which, as I said before, is the set of Deadpool 1. So if you have watched both Lucifer and Deadpool 1 go back and watch the freaking scene. It begins at minute 21 and 40 seconds. So if you don't want to watch the whole episode... 2140. Exactly. What I found unusual is that Lucy seems to be genuinely apologizing
0: to Chloe. I think he just reached that moment where he realizes he done fucked up. No, yeah, but I wonder, is he genuinely sorry and that is why he's
1: apologizing? Or is he not sorry and de facto lying and just apologizing to get back into her good graces? Because if it's the letter, I have to restart my lie counter.
0: I think he's genuinely sorry. But at the same time, he knows that if he's going to apologize and mean it, that it's going to get him back. Oh,
1: yeah. He's aware of the benefits of the apology. Yeah,
0: but he is genuinely sorry, I think. I have another question right coming after this.
1: Yeah, go on. Because right after he apologizes, they go in there and Lucy doesn't waste any time. He just confronts everyone. Why is he not
0: using his powers?
1: No one in the biker bar seems to be taken in by his usual charms.
0: Why? I would say that he walks in, he calls everybody out, and once he gets that one single person to focus on, he's gonna use his powers. He is going for creating a reaction that's gonna single somebody out, either the leader or the person who has something to do with it. But in the past, when we've seen him in a crowd,
1: he was always oozing this charm factor. And no one, not a single female, not a single male, is hitching on the usual Lucifer charm. And I'm just wondering why he turned it all off. Maybe
0: he's just distracted by the need to look for the container? Is he too angry? Is too preoccupied, you think? Maybe, maybe. Okay. Disappointing, but I can accept it.
1: <laughs> I would like him to be more multitasking.
0: Yeah, I have another song for this scene. When they walk into the bar, there is a song by Michael Burks and it's called changed man. How great is that? I assume
1: this one was on Spotify.
0: It was on Spotify, it's on the playlist. It's a good kind of country, kind of bikery type of a song. It's very good. It's very fitting for the bar setting. I
1: remember that the music was very very fitting. I know I'm repeating myself but one of my notes in this scene reads, damn Chloe, that takedown was sweet.
0: Excuse me, also I have to point out the best joke In this episode, Harry Potter Village People Rejects
1: No, I much prefer Lucifer being called Harry Potter.
0: Is he called Harry Potter because he's British? Yes. That's racist. No. I know it's not, but that's not a reason to call somebody Harry Potter. It is when you're a dumb
1: biker and that's the only British person that you know.
0: It feels weirdly sophisticated joke for a biker. It's a children's book. Of course, bikers can read
1: children's
0: book. Harry Potter unites the world yet again.
1: I'm happily surprised that Lucifer just followed Chloe's lead. When to back down, when to leave and when to do whatever. I like that they competently work together. That Chloe is the dominant part in this buddy-cop relationship. And that Lucifer is willing and capable to step back if needs be. Even when he is emotionally obviously very much involved. So as much as I complained about last time, this episode makes it all right in this regard. So I'm very, very happy. Next scene, we got Linda and Ames prepping for the next therapy session of Lucifer. And speaking of last episode, Emanuel is much less creepy this episode, I have to say. He's still creepy, but he's not as creepy as last time. He's the worst. I hate him. Oh yeah, no discussion there. But at the end of this scene, he smiles, but it's not as creepy as last time.
0: Is that a compliment towards Ames for like, it's not as creepy? It's still creepy, but you know, it's not as creepy. It's progress. He's getting better. He's getting less shit. (laughs)
1: But I love the setting because this setup gives Linda the chance to talk about Lucy to someone else. And I love hearing her talk about Lucifer because so far we didn't have a chance to listen to a neutral analysis by Linda because she only talked to Lucy about Lucy. So I like this from a setting point of view a lot. I'm not going on a tangent that would have presented itself. Because I very, very much disagree with Amenadiel's blanket statement that every culture in the world and throughout history has its very own myth of the devil. That is not true. It's a very arrogant Abrahamic religion view. Because just because Jewish... Christian and Islamic religion do have their own version of the devil. Does not mean that every other culture or religion does have that. And I could have plunged into an extremely long tangent. I didn't. I'm just gonna say he's an asshole and he's arrogant and it fits his character perfectly. So I'm gonna accept it in this moment. But should it happen again, then I will go on to this tangent.
0: It's gonna happen again, knowing him.
1: Most likely it's gonna happen again. And another tangent I didn't go onto, so praise me, is equaling the devil with just being a rebellious son is something else entirely that could have and should have been discussed in detail. But again, it fits Amenadiel's character, so I'm gonna refrain from doing it this time. Should it happen again, I will plunge into my tangent.
0: I want to punch him in the face. No, we have covered this in the previous one when we talked about the fact that Ames loves to interpret things in his own way. And he's a dick and we hate him. Now, let's please move on to the next scene. Coming up next is
1: scene 11, which I called Back to the Stakeout. Because Lucifer and Chloe are sitting in a car and oh my god, my not quite as dead as your but still kind of dead heart got... Warm because Chloe telling Lucifer that she actually likes working with
0: him. I so feel with Lucifer. His face, he's so happy, but he doesn't know how to show it. He's so surprised, and it
1: hurts me and it makes me happy, and it's painful and wonderful and lovely and everything at the same time. And I'm just like, And also, Chloe, who is not the most emotional person in displaying emotions, actually telling him that she likes working with him. Those few seconds when she tells him, I just went like, oh my
0: god. This is what I want. Yeah. Dicker star strikes again.
1: (laughs) Seriously, you just froze. Oh, you're back.
0: (gasps) Did you hear what I said? No. Good. (laughs) I'm gonna keep it in, then you can listen to it afterwards. Either way, the debate in the car is just... Yeah,
1: but what is non-debatable yes. is Tom Ellis acting. Yes, and his eyeliner. His acting is like, seriously, when Rennie shoots the main guy of the biker gang, his face changes because then he knows who's guilty. His face face is fucking terrifying and chloe leaves the car he switches over to the driver's seat and he starts hunting the other guy and his face switches more and more and more into proper devil face and it's terrifying and it's amazing and i'm really happy that they gave tom ellis more range to act
0: it's a very, very, very scary face when uh, he leaves with the car. And Chloe is so disappointed that he leaves. I'm
1: actually sorry because I kept it in a longer scene. I kept the entire chase and the end of the chase in one scene because I was lazy this episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's all right. I actually really enjoyed Lucifer's annoyance of having to hide from the bullets.
0: Oh yeah, and we have a song for the chase. It starts playing when Lucifer takes the car and it's Prodigy. Right, I noticed it was Prodigy. And the name of the song is The Day Is My Enemy. Mm. And I love the chase. The fact that Lucifer, he doesn't need to run. He's not angry anymore. It's so good. He walks normal
1: and he's still catching up. It's so terrifying. It's like a nightmare when you're running and running and running and the monster pursuing you just keeps catching up even though that monster is not running. So I really, really love it. His exasperation when he has to hide from the bullet and then he goes like, ah, oh, now the gun is empty. And he continues his pursuit. Oh, so good extremely well done but my final note for this scene is i think lucifer should learn how to keep a leash on his devil face because it didn't feel like in this moment he wanted his devil face to come out and it resulted in the dude jumping from the roof and he goes like i couldn't stop him no of course you couldn't stop him because you basically caused him to jump by showing your true face
0: Well, I have a question. Oh, please. Does he jump because of the devil face or because he saw the wings?
1: I think it's a combination of both. I think if Lucifer hadn't shown his devil face, he might have simply grabbed the dude and kept him Mm -hmm. from jumping. But because Lucifer did not have any hold of his own emotions, Mm -hmm. which triggered his devil face, he was not aware enough to grab the guy and keep him. Yes. So I think it's a combination of both. And this is why I think he really needs to learn how... How to control his devil face.
0: Yeah. He is becoming more and more a slave to his own emotion. Exactly. And I think that he needs to work against this. And I
1: hope that the therapy with Linda. Especially with the high point that we reach at the end of the episode. When he punches the wall. I hope that this is gonna be a turning point for him. Because I feel like Lucifer, especially in this episode, is losing the grasp on his self-control and emotions. And I really feel that he needs to win it back.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about the next episode. This is all the notes I have for scene 11. I don't know about you. I have to say that for the rest of the episode, I do not have much written down. Oh, I have a tangent. Because one, I know that you're gonna go on a tangent. But also, two, the next scene is quite straightforward. And it's very cute and it's very nice.
1: No, 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 no. Oh, wait. The next scene is when they go into the
0: container. Oh, sorry. I jumped that. Sorry.
1: Lucifer told Chloe that there's gonna be Russian dolls. So I don't know about you, but my brain didn't go straight away to the nesting dolls.
0: Yeah, mine completely went.
1: Because for me, Russian dolls wasn't synonymous with the... Yeah. So for me, when I watched this first, it was very surprising that it was those nesting dolls. Because that's the translation that actually works for the German brain. Okay. So when he showed them... I found it really interesting because basically Lucifer is layers upon layers upon layers upon layers. So him having those Russian nesting dolls in his container, I found very interesting because Chloe is just starting to peel back most obvious parts of his layers. And she's getting more into the deeper actual core of his being. So... I found it very interesting. Yeah. Also, I like that we're still playing the pronoun game. Because Lucifer goes, they're gone. We still officially do not know what they are at this point. For me, it was quite obvious.
0: Yeah, but it's not confirmed. The next scene, we have the
1: happy family time with Techo Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Which for me, because I'm not... As much as a Dan hater as you are. I like because Dan is trying and he's actually doing right. Oh no. I appreciate Dan. It's nice to see the family triangle in that moment. Because it's nice to see Chloe as mature as she is. Because sadly she's always the mature one in that relationship. But she lets him back in. She appreciates his effort. Just as she said earlier in the phone call to her mother. All she wants him is to give an effort yeah and he does show the effort and she appreciates it she accepts it because it's about her daughter mm-hmm. so again we get the competence and personal growth and reliability of chloe that i very much appreciate because it counteracts her boring usual personality mm-hmm. so even though i have no notes for that scene i very much appreciate it
0: Yep. But we go into scene 14.
1: This scene. What
0: are your notes on this scene? I didn't really make notes on this scene. You really need to watch it. Yes. We can link YouTube videos. Yeah. Let's link a YouTube video to this interaction if you haven't watched it. If you don't know how to watch
1: Lucifer because you live in some part of the world where Lucifer is not accessible, give us a note. We're gonna find a solution.
0: Yes. Because this scene and this interaction... This escalation acting-wise is absolutely impeccable, it's amazing. But the things that Lucifer says, I am so there for it. I am so there with him. I understand absolutely how he feels, where all of this is coming from. And I know that Linda is trying to help him. And he probably needs to go through a big breakthrough like that. But this just feels so
1: cruel. But it's necessary. Because he needs to break out of his facade and this is what this scene and this therapy session actually accomplishes. Yeah. Because she early on told him that he tried on so many different hats and this is now the moment where none of the hats protect him anymore and he lashes out. Rightfully so because he's cornered, he's confronted and while I've feel deeply for Linda because she's being confronted by such an aggressive outburst. I feel like it's entirely necessary for Lucifer. Because he's finally actually being honest and not just being behind his facade.
0: Yeah. So this whole thing, it bleeds into the last scene where he comes back to Lux. Before it bleeds into there,
1: I have one note. Lucifer says that... It was unjust. God's decision was unjust. And... Not too far ago, Linda pointed out that he was seeking justice for the innocent. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is the base for why he is fighting for the innocent. To get them a just treatment. Because he himself has been treated unjustly.
0: Yeah, that would make sense.
1: And so I really liked his outburst. Because there's a ginormous difference between the two of them. And I'm totally with you. The transition into the next scene, the anxiety we take out of scene 14, it's captivating and it's wrenching. It made me feel so engaged. While he talks, we see the wings, right? Yes. I really have to say, they did a bloody amazing job. The wings look utterly Breathtaking and amazing. And gross
0: at the same time.
1: Lucifer talking about it is so heart-wrenching.
0: But as we have this image in front of us and have Lucifer speaking, there's a song starts to play underneath this. And I have actually, I've written down the lyrics of the beginning of the song. Okay. It's by churches. And because I am, I am a millennial, but clearly not young <laughs> enough. I don't know, it's the one with the, instead of a U, it has a V in the name.
1: You don't have to be a millennial for that, you have to be a metalhead, because that's how you spell true.
0: Okay, because of the name of the song is ZVVL. So I'm not really sure how to pronounce that. Let's call it Zool. Okay. But because the name of the song doesn't really give me anything. The lyrics go, so I think it's time. To face yourself again. It's not too late. It's always time to steal yourself. And it goes on and on. And this is playing underneath the hall. They took them. They took my wings, Mace. Mm. This makes me way more emotional than I am, care to admit. Oh I'm utterly with you. This whole ending and the whole breakthrough and Lucifer getting Emotional and the acting in it and it's so... And the whole turning in the
1: beginning with his desperate try to not care and at the end standing there being so obviously distraught by not knowing who took his wings and where they are. Of course, in the beginning of the episode, we already knew that the wings are relevant, but now we see it through his actual acting. And like this is one of the first episodes where I kind of instantly wanted to watch the next one.
0: Yeah, I had exactly the same thing. The previous episodes, I had absolutely
1: no problem for waiting two fucking weeks to watch the next episode before we had to record. But this time... It was hard not to just watch the next one, but I didn't because I know that I'm gonna change our recording if I watch the next episode. This is the only reason why I didn't instantly watch the next one. And this is what makes good television for me. If I really have to watch the next one because I'm so curious and I'm so emotionally involved, then it's a mark of good television. And this is mm-hmm. where we finally at. Yes. When I watched this for the first time, I was so curious. For me, it's obvious he's gonna get back his fucking wings. That's not a debate But his emotional involvement and his vulnerability towards Maze is so interesting and telling and relevant. Mm -hmm. So this episode, I'm going to drift over into my final thoughts and I hope you don't mind. Yeah, not at all. But this episode is overall such a great episode because I don't have any complaints. Especially compared with last episode, as much as, as I was unhappy. I know, I know. As much as I was unhappy with the last episode, I adore this episode. We get Mace time, we get Linda time, we get Trixie time and every scene and sometimes even multiple scenes that we get with each of them are great. Tom Ellis gets so much more range to actually act in and it's so brilliant to watch. Because don't get me wrong, the usual setup of the show is a buddy cop show. So it's light and entertaining and heartfelt and yaddy yaddy. But in this episode, I feel like he gets a whole more range of emotion to actually display and act. And he's so good at it. And I really appreciate it. What reminds me of episode three is that the bad guys in this episode are utterly irrelevant. But contrary to episode three, in this one, they don't take up too much time. Any amount of time that we spend with the bad guys is used for character development. Like we have the stakeout scene where where Chloe tells Lucifer that she actually likes spending time with him. That she likes working with him. So the bad guy in this moment doesn't matter because the story progress is so much more relevant that the bad guys are just background noise. We get progress in the entire storyline, in the character development, in the working relationship. We have Chloe admitting to liking the arrangement with Lucifer. We have Linda getting finally behind Lucifer's carefully constructed facade. And at the end of the episode, we finally have actual stuff takes for the next episode. Now there is something feasible, something touchable that Lucifer has to resolve in the next episode. So I'm so happy with this. If you're not hooked at this point of the show, just get your fucking ass out of there. Mm-hmm. Seriously. This is the latest moment where you're either in or not, in my opinion.
0: Yep, I have to say that I finished watching this episode And I kept staring on the screen. And because of the amount of emotion that we go through in the last two scenes, I found it really difficult to gather myself and write down what I feel and think about the whole episode. That's why I wrote it the next day. That's smart. I might try that next time. But all in all, this left me wanting more. And I genuinely, same as you, wanted to put on the next episode And we know the outcome, we've seen this before, but the emotional response just makes us want to watch how this is going to turn out. So yeah, the big emotional thing in the end is massive, but otherwise, if you look at the episode, it's obviously extremely personal to Lucifer and... It's amazing to see more about him, the way he perceives the world, and his journey. But also we get a massive lore dump, which is interesting for us, interesting for this podcast, because this is what we kind of want to talk about.
1: As if I (laughs) went off any tangent!
0: But other than that, (laughs) other than that, we still got loads of Trixie, loads of Maze... Oh, yeah. We got so much of their personalities in this episode. And Dan, actually, surprisingly, this is the best episode of Dan. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. Because he got naked. <laughs>
1: It didn't hurt.
0: Yeah, it did not hurt. And obviously Amenadiel is pissing me off and I hate him.
1: But even Amenadiel is less creepy than he was before. Everyone is performing better. Yes. It's surprising. It's not. This is a good show. I can't wait for us to get into next episode. And I kind of think that this is the perfect moment to cut this off. Yep. So I'm gonna be kind of abrupt because I'm... Very sure next episode we're gonna go right into it. So I'm just gonna cut both of us off here and go with thank you for listening to our ramblings, especially my tangents, if you listen to the bonus episode. If you want to keep in touch with us, you can do so via Twitter at the Apple of True, one word, or Instagram at T-A-O-T Podcast. We obviously also have a Facebook page that can be found under
0: both of those names.
1: Our episodes can be found, of course, on Spotify and iTunes.
0: And for those who loves us. But also, if you want to know if there are other ways to get involved, besides telling all your good friends to listen to the show.
1: And also not just your good friends.
0: Yeah. Just don't tell people you hate, because they don't deserve us. Exactly. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Bye! Bye! <laughs> <laughs> that was a very bad bye. Do you want to do it again? Yes.
1: Free! Two, one. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.